You're listening to Beyond the Sermon, the podcast of First Methodist Church in Collingswood, New Jersey. Our goal is to not only share our sermons, but to go beyond the sermon with conversations about what we're learning and what God is doing in our lives and our community. You can find out more information about our church at fumccollingswood.org. Thanks for listening. Have you ever heard or sung this song? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Have you ever sung that song before? Do you know it? It's it's a beautiful song that speaks of God's love for us and about how God showed us that love by putting on our humanity and suffering in our place, dying for our sin. And I want to love this song with its beautifully poetic depiction of, of one of the pictures of how God atoned for our sins and, and what was accomplished by Christ on the cross. But I get held up by one line in particular, one line that, that never quite sat right with me. The line I'm referring to says, How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. And the idea that God the father turned his face away from Jesus, who is God the son, while he suffered on the cross, dying for our sin, accomplishing the plan that God had established from the very beginning to reconcile humanity to himself. It always seemed like some kind of division or separation or brokenness within the triune God, the God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being. And I could never quite reconcile the idea of God turning away from God while still maintaining the unity of being that defines the Trinity. I couldn't understand how God the Father could be separated from God the Son and our salvation still be accomplished. After all, did did any of the four Gospels actually say that this is what happened? I don't think so, in all the times I've read them. But what we do see in the Gospels, particularly in Mark 
and in Matthew is this cry from Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it wasn't until I read a book by Tom McCall, who previously taught at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and now teaches at Asbury Theological Seminary. His book is entitled Forsaken, The Trinity, The Cross, and Why It Matters. And the argument that Tom lays out in his book helped me to understand the dissonance that I was feeling about that line in the song but it also gave me a different framework in which to understand this cry of abandonment that Jesus uttered from the cross. And this is where the crucifixion narrative connects with our summer series about the Psalms. You see, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't just a cry of abandonment or desperation, or as theologians and Bible scholars refer to it, the cry of dereliction. There's a word you can use this week and get a gold star, dereliction. So it wasn't just this cry of abandonment. It was, as you may have already put together by this point in the service, a direct quote from Psalm 22. Verse one. Now, one way to read that would be to say that Jesus was quoting that specific verse because it was familiar to him and it shows how deeply steeped in the Hebrew scriptures he was. And that one verse expressed what Jesus was experiencing in that moment on the cross. So that verse was what Jesus was referencing. And and that was all that was relevant to his experience. But another way to read it, which I think makes a lot of sense, is to read Jesus's cry in Mark and Matthew as a reference not only to verse one of Psalm 22, but to the whole of Psalm 22 in its entirety. I mean, think, and I think it makes sense. Think with me for a moment about the very next Psalm, Psalm 23, which Will preached on a few weeks ago. If I say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where does your mind go? Right? You continue reciting that Psalm in your mind, even if you don't say it out loud. I'm guessing many of you could say it out loud. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? Say it with me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It just comes 
pouring out of us when we hear those opening words. For those of us who have, who have hidden those words in our heart like Psalm 119 tells us to. So whenever we hear the words, the Lord is my shepherd, we hear whatever comes next in the context of the whole of Psalm 23, in the context of the good shepherd who provides and protects and guides and blesses. So I think it's entirely plausible that this is exactly what Jesus intended when he cried out, quoting from Psalm 22, one. He meant for the people who heard him to start thinking about Psalm 22 as a whole. You know, so many of those Jews, these were, these were their hymns, right? These were the hymn book of the Jewish people and, and they sang them, they knew them, they were part of who they were. And so for them to hear Psalm 22, one, they started to think, about all that came next. And and so Jesus wanted them to interpret what was happening to him, what he was doing there on the cross in light of what the rest of the Psalm says. And I think Mark and Matthew following him did that very thing. I think it's clear from some of the phrasing that they use and the, the connections and allusions that they make throughout the crucifixion narrative, tying it back to Psalm 22. Listen to some of these connections and judge for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, but see if you hear the connection here. Psalm 22, verses six to eight. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Now compare that to Matthew 27, starting in verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God in the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. And notice in particular, verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Or, or take, for instance, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. And while there's not a direct quote of this verse, that is what was meant by crucifixion. Your hands and your feet were pierced by nails that held you to the cross until you died. Or take, for instance, Psalm eight, or verse 18 of Psalm 22. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. It says the same thing in Matthew 27, 35. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. John 19, 24 makes it explicit that this was to be understood in light of Psalm 22. Let's not tear it, they said in John 22, uh, verse 18. Let's decide by lot who will get it. 
This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. To me, it's clear that the writers of the gospels recognized the connection between Jesus's death and Psalm 22, among other Old Testament passages that they quote. So what I, what I wanna get to is if, if Jesus and the gospels intend for us to understand Jesus's crucifixion and death in light of the whole of Psalm 22, what does the rest of Psalm 22 say and what does that add to our understanding of what Jesus was accomplishing in his death on the cross. There's a few more key verses in Psalm 22. Don't worry, I'm not gonna work through all the rest of Psalm 22 verse by verse. But there's a few key verses that I want us to focus in on. The Psalm we mentioned begins with this feeling of rejection and abandonment, but that's not where it ends up. As is often the case, it takes a turn at some point. At some point, there's a pivot that shifts from the present circumstances that the psalmist is experiencing to a view of what God has done and what God is doing. And I think there's the same kind of shift that takes place here in Psalm 22 in verse 19 with the little word, but... Psalm 22, verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. But that little word that shifts everything. And there's this recognition that in the midst of all all the things that have been described up to this point in Psalm 22, that God is still near to us. And he is still our strength. And that was true for the psalmist. And it was true for Jesus. I believe it's true for us. Now, it doesn't mean that God pulled Jesus down off the cross and rescued him from the suffering that he was experiencing. But God was still with him. And he could have done it. If he had chosen to, he was able to take Jesus down off that cross. But God the Father did not abandon Jesus entirely. Yes, he's forsaken Jesus to his death at the hands of sinful men, but God has not forsaken Jesus in his sufferings. So we read in Psalm 22, verse 24, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. That's Jesus, the afflicted one. He has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Even as Jesus bore the weight of our sin, the Father didn't turn his back on the Son, and there was no rupture in the being or relationship of the Trinity. The God who put on flesh and died for us and our salvation is the same God who suffered. Our salvation 
was accomplished not by an act of God the Father against God the Son, but through the triune God dealing with our sin. So Luke tells us in chapter 23 that Jesus called out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And John records Jesus' final victorious cry. John says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. These are not the cries of someone who has been utterly forsaken, but of one who is looking beyond the present moment, someone who understands that to heal humanity, his ascent must begin from the very lowest point of human experience. So he descended even to death so that in his ascent, humanity could be raised with him. I believe Jesus had not only these opening words of Psalm 22 on his mind as he hung on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I believe he had the closing words on his mind as well. All the ends of the earth Verse 27 says, will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow before him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. Like Jesus said, it is finished. He accomplished our salvation once and for all there on the cross. And as we move into the celebration of Holy Communion this morning, we celebrate the victory that Christ won on our behalf. And we celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus made to make us whole. We proclaim, as Paul said, the Lord's death until he comes again. And we celebrate That if God didn't forsake Jesus as he bore our sin and shame there on the cross, we can believe his promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us.